You'd know it if you were being abused, wouldn't you? I'm not talking about physical or even verbal abuse. I want to tell you a story that gives us amazing insights into recognizing spiritual abuse when we see it. I'm so glad you're here for another episode of The Unlovely Truth. I'm your host, private investigator Lori Morrison. You've joined me for another captivating true crime story where physical, spiritual, and emotional safety takeaways are waiting for us. If you're listening, I believe you have a unique calling to become a different kind of PI, not a typical private investigator, but a person of impact. This is season four, episode 30. The book I chose this week is Jesus Freaks, a true story of murder and madness on the evangelical edge. Our guest this week is our own unlovely truth chaplain, Lori Prather. So let's be real. A lot of crap happens in the name of religion. Christians are not exempt from this. One of this year's breakout films, Jesus Revolution, told the story of a group of Southern California teenage hippies that brought together Greg Laurie, Lonnie Frisbee, and Chuck Smith in a cultural mashup that changed the lives of millions. What the filmmakers didn't mention, and I can't say that I blame them, is a fringe group that sprang out of this same spiritual awakening. Led by a man named David Berg, the Children of God cult was born, and it changed many lives too, but not for the better. What's important to know about this group is that it also calls itself the Family International, the Family of Love, Teens for Christ, and probably other names no one knows about. And you need to know that it has its roots in mainline American evangelical circles. Berg developed one of the weirdest supposedly evangelical tools I've ever heard of. He called it flirty fishing, and it's exactly what it sounds like, so we'll just leave that there. This departure from traditional orthodoxy wasn't Berg's only whacked out idea. It wasn't long before he was teaching that the only way to heaven was through the family, not through Jesus. He rejected traditional churches, governmental entities, and traditional parenting, and all of that was very, very appealing to young people at that time. Society was shifting so rapidly in the 1960s, and frankly, churches weren't keeping up with what was hurting in their communities. That gave David Berg a chance to capitalize on what the church was not doing. It makes me stop and wonder if we in the church today are missing out on opportunities to reach hurting people because they're hurting in ways that we don't typically like to deal with. If that's true, and I do really think it is, then by default, we're actually pushing people toward poisonous teachers like Berg who pretend that they want to help. But David Berg didn't want to help. He wanted what most, if not all, cult leaders want, power and control. So let's take a close look at just one person's life that was ruined by David Berg. It was a young boy named Ricky Rodriguez, who David had christened Davidito, or Little David. Ricky was born to Karen Zerby, who David Berg had taken a liking to. He quickly produced a doctrine of polygamy into his creed. David already had a wife and several children. Ricky's biological father was a young man who had been evangelized through this flirty fishing. Ricky was revered by all the members of the family and considered to be their next prophet after David. His upbringing was documented in very vivid and minute detail, which is one of the ways we know about the sexual abuse of children that went on in this cult. Physical abuse was common too. 
and children whose behavior was severe enough were sent away to camps to re-educate them in the teachings of the family. Now, when I say severe enough, basically that means if they weren't buying into everything the cult was teaching them. By the time Ricky was an adult, David Berg had died, and the new prophet was questioning a lot of what he'd been taught all of his life. His mother had taken over the day-to-day operations of the cult, and she expected her son to step up and support this work. The family had followers in multiple countries, and the authorities were starting to look into many of their practices. People who had left the group were sharing all of the details of what went on in this supposed Jesus movement. Then the unthinkable happened. Davidito decided to leave the group he was supposed to be leading. Ricky advised other ex-cult members to live their lives and not let what they went through in the cult destroy them. He had a very hard time following his own advice. He did get a job and an apartment, and he had a girlfriend who had also been in the family. He dealt with depression, rage, and thoughts of suicide. Other ex-members were finding it hard to build lives outside of the group that they'd invested so much in. In some cases, they'd even been born into this. And how do you navigate a world that you know so little about? After several years of distancing himself from his mother, Ricky suddenly began asking how he could find her. When one surprised person he was questioning asked why on earth he wanted to find the mother who had abused him and allowed others to do the same, Ricky simply replied, She needs to die. With that in mind, Ricky planned to meet one of his mother's closest associates, who also happened to be one of his former nannies, someone else who had abused him. He made plans to meet her for dinner to try to weasel his mother's whereabouts out of her. When he picked her up, instead of going to dinner, he took her to his apartment and shot her to death. Maybe his rage was spent with that killing. He decided not to continue his quest to find his mother. Instead, he tried to end his own pain by ending his life. The Family International still exists, and according to their website, they have followers in over 75 countries. Their website does mention David Berg, if you dig deep enough. His most controversial teachings are, of course, not mentioned. The fact that he and some of his followers abuse children and adults physically, emotionally, and spiritually isn't there. Of course, monsters in real life don't look like the ones from fairy tales. If they did, they'd be a heck of a lot easier to spot. That's why I invited our Unlovely Truth chaplain, Lori Prather, to join us again and talk about how we can spot spiritual abuse and how we can protect ourselves and others from its evil grip. Lori, as always, it is so wonderful to have you back. It's been way too long. It has. I agree. And I knew when I saw this case, especially since you and I did ministry together for so many years, that you would be the absolute perfect guest for this. Sometimes I don't know if I should take that as a compliment or... No, it's a good thing because you get this (laughs) sort of stuff. We, We actually taught some of our older elementary children exactly this type of thing to look out for. So full circle here. Yeah. Isn't that scary? That was so many years ago. We won't say how many. No, we will not. (laughs) Well, and as you know, today's case is really spiritual abuse to the extreme. But what I want to focus on for everybody is what ended up as a cult started out in a mainstream congregation. And so I think the takeaway is we have to be able to recognize and accept the fact that this could happen anywhere. Absolutely. When we're looking out for signs of spiritual abuse, because it's a fine line. 
what one person might say is just, you know, very direct authority. Somebody else might say that's very triggering to me. That's very abusive. Right. And so it it really kind of caught my attention that when you think about the term grooming, we usually think of child sexual abuse. But in this case, I saw a lot of similar behaviors. You know, you test someone with just a little bit of bad theology to see if they're going right. to accept it or at least ignore it and not say, oh, I'm not sure that that's what that means or I'm not even sure that that's in there. But once they get away with one little thing, whether it's misquoting the Bible, misinterpreting or just making stuff up out of whole cloth, then I think they feel bold. They're ready to try another and another. And then you're in the middle of actual heresy. Right. But, you know, it's kind of like the frog that is in the pot and you slowly turn up the heat. You know, that analogy, you go so slowly that you don't realize how far you've been taken. Yep. So if we've got someone, whether it's a pastor or it's somebody in our Sunday school or small group, how do we confront what we think might be slightly off teaching but not, you know, we, we want to be gentle. We want to speak that truth in love. How, sure. how do we deal with that? Well, I think foundationally, you kind of mentioned this, and it's important to say that part, the only way you're going to know this is if you are in the word on your own as well. <laughs> so I, I understand at some point you're, you're new and I get that. And I think they tend to prey on those people too, because they would most likely go for a non-believer that they can convert before they would go for you or I, because we're going to notice things faster. I hope so. so. Be, I hope so. Well, yes. Just being aware and, and doing your own homework and being in the word on your own, finding people you trust. So this could be a pastor or a leader that you don't know, you know, and you have found this church or they found you. So finding someone in your life, in your past that you know personally, who has a faith, who can sort of, you can go to with questions, I think is key. Again, especially if you are newer to the faith. I think those of us who have been in it longer are probably already have those people. Finding that type of person is not hard. So I think that's the first step is just understanding that nothing in the Bible says that we can only read it through someone else or with help, that it is intended and, and very clear that the word is active and alive and God speaks to us through it and the Holy Spirit will move. So don't rely on someone else. That would be the first thing. That, that's the first misstep is relying on someone else to tell you everything and not doing your homework. I think the second red flag, or, or maybe the first red flag, is when you try to question it, if it is met with a lot of defensiveness, that should be a red flag to you. If anyone ever came to me and said, okay, in this Bible study you did last week, you said this, that didn't seem right to me. My first response would not be defensiveness. It would be like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I am so sorry. Okay, let's go. I, I didn't mean to say that. All right, let's go check it. This is what I thought, but because you're bringing it up, let's go to the word or let's, you know, let's go figure this out together. Right. Anyone who is truly, truly wanting to teach God's word and to help you better your life, it should be a response like that or similar to that. One of humility, one of discovery together. So if there is an immediate wall put up, you're wrong, don't question me, that is a huge Huge, huge red flag. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean they're a cult, but it does speak to their heart as a teacher mm -hmm. of the word. And I think that that 
is huge. I think, you know, if, if we would just stop there, a lot of these stories would have never happened. But we make excuses and we, oh, well, I didn't know. And well, I hurt their feelings. Don't worry about hurting their feelings. In fact, in my own life, I've had several pastors who from the pulpit will say, don't take my word on it. Go check this out. You should always be checking this out. You should never just assume what I tell you on a Sunday. Yes, you can trust me, but you should always go and read the scripture I'm preaching from and, and do your own homework. And if it doesn't sit with you, come back to me. Let's talk about it. You know, that is the attitude that we are looking for. So I think that is a huge piece right there. When you do have someone that you want to approach, I also think the approach is different when it's, as you mentioned, maybe someone in a Sunday school class that's sitting next to you versus someone that is in leadership. Yeah, that's because, a good point. Yeah, they just come from different, well, they have different power, first of all, different influence. And the person sitting next to you may genuinely just be wrong and, and not know it. I mean, we all get things wrong. So let's let's just say that. Not a one of us ever gets it all right. You know, we're going to misstep. We're human. We're going to interpret something a little differently. So I think if it's just someone in a class with you or a Bible study or, you know, I don't know, in your neighborhood that you're chatting with, that is one approach to say, you know what? When I have read this before, this is how I've understood it. Or I will usually even then go research. I've listened to a few sermons. This is how I have heard other pastors talk about this subject and this topic. Can we go look at it together? That's, that's a whole different conversation to me than someone in leadership, someone with influence and power within whatever group you're in, standing up and, and again, preaching it as gospel when you then go look and go, this doesn't make sense at all. And I think sometimes we have to trust that Holy Spirit discernment. And I know for some of us, yes. that's more uncomfortable. I get it. But there's usually, in every one of these stories, you and I talk about this every time, there's almost always a moment. God left us the Holy Spirit for this reason. Um, and you can call it whatever you want, that inner voice. Uh, that's okay, too. Mm -hmm. But... In every one of these stories, if you could go back to these victims, there's a moment where they thought, that's weird. Yeah. That's off. That doesn't seem right. Listen to that. Listen to that. Go with caution. Like you said, we're not just going to run after them and scream heresy. You want <laughs> diligence. We always want to approach with love truth and love, because we know that love without truth doesn't get us very far and truth without love doesn't get us very far. Right. But I think when you feel like, huh, something's off, you've got to listen to that. And that's happened to me before at, at other churches, thankfully not really at the ones I've attended, but I've been there before where I looked at my husband and went, mm-mm. That is not biblical. Now, it wasn't something I jumped up and, you know, I didn't, wow, you're wrong. But I just looked to him and said, no, we got to tell our kids later. That's not, nope. And I felt it in my spirit first. It's not because I know the whole Bible. My spirit moved. And then I went, huh, okay, I got to go do my research on that because that's not tracking with what I know. And you're right. The key is research. And you have to understand too, you know, different parts of the Bible are written in different ways. There's yep. history, there's law, there's poetry. And so you have to remember, okay, what are we quoting from? And context is everything. It's 
everything. <laughs> are, are, yes. Are people pulling things out of context? Right. And I think too, the historical context is really, really important because yeah. I'll just make fun of myself here for a second. <laughs> there is a passage and I can't, I can't think right now exactly where it is, but it talks about heaping burning coals on your enemy's heads. Yeah. And I used, I loved that passage because I was like, <laughs> we'll, sh we'll show them. We're going to heap burning coals on their heads. And then it was explained to me that culturally giving someone fire or those burning coals, that was life giving. That's what people needed to purify their water, cook their food, stay warm at night. And so when you're doing that, Wow. I guess it's kind of a killing them with kindness. <laughs> right. And a total opposite than what you thought. Yes. It's being a servant, not being a jerk. Like I was like, yeah. And so, you know, you, you do have to dig in and say, what is this really saying to me? Right. And that's why I love study Bibles. I love any kind of commentaries. And, and you know, you could even just Google, what does this verse mean? And you have to be yes, careful although, with what, yes, yeah, yes. definitely be careful with what website is answering you, but find one that you know is theologically sound. And then, and, and don't just look at one because like you said, different people have different interpretations and sometimes just someone says it a little differently, you know, uses just different words to explain right. it and it resonates with you in a way that maybe it hasn't before. Am I allowed to bring up the Bible project? Is that... Of course, I love the okay, Bible project. I'm obsessed with them. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I don't know a reliable source, that is the best place to start. These men are grounded in the word. They are brilliant, but yes. they also speak theology in a way that makes sense. I, I just is why I'm obsessed with them. They have overviews of every book of the Bible that go through kind of what the storyline is and what the what God's trying to do in it and what happens with his people, depending Old versus New Testament. So it may not get into the nitty gritty of a verse, but even if you just took and watched, if the passage you're questioning is in Romans, I guarantee you just watching the Romans overview would help, will give yes. you just a little bit of foundation and go, oh, that okay, that tracks. So maybe they were right. Or, oh, that doesn't track at all. That is one site that comes to mind that it's not only absolutely 100% reliable and trustworthy. It's also very easy to understand. And I think they don't get even when they are kind of heady and get really theological, somehow they still do it in a way that you're like, I actually understand what they're talking about right now. Yes. And they have all kinds of podcasts. So, you, so you, if you want to dig in deeper into a certain topic that maybe, you know, you can go and search their podcast. So that is just one that I would highly, highly recommend if you've got a particular passage that you're questioning or struggling with that someone has preached on, that's a good place to start. And if you like to read things as opposed to listening or watching their videos or whatever, I use gotquestions.org quite oh, a bit. Oh, I know that one. Yeah. They're theologically sound. They have kind of little, little bite size answers. And you can basically just type in any question like, what is this? What does this verse mean? And you can type in a topic. I have found them to be reliable as well and, and scripturally based. Awesome. That's the important thing. Whoever you're right. listening to, reading, whatever, just make sure they're scripturally based. And, you know, when I talk about different scriptures, go check what I said. Right. I'm certainly not infallible either. And getting back to the idea of recognizing abuse, 
I think one big part of any type of abuse, whether it's, you know, physical, sexual, spiritual, emotional, whatever, is the control that the abuser Mm -hmm. wants to exert over the person or group of people that they're abusing. Tell me about maybe some scenarios that, again, we we mentioned red flags earlier, and I I like to talk about red flags. What kind of things do we need to watch out for? So the first thing I will say is that I'm going to take a stab in the dark that I bet I'm going to guess half of the people listening to this have this experience in their life in some way, shape or form. They've had a relationship, whether it be someone they dated, someone they were married to, someone they worked for. Many, many, many of us have had to some degree, maybe not all the way, you know, to what we would even label as abuse. But if you really kind of think back to a relationship that when you think of that person, it's kind of uh, a little triggering, I I would guess it's probably because somewhere in that relationship, this started to happen. I'll share mine. I dated a guy in college and honestly didn't, you know, was very innocent and didn't see it until until I was out of it, to be honest. Um, didn't recognize it for what it was. Very controlling. Never hurt me physically. Was very emotionally and mentally abusive. And, and it was really very controlling. And, and I could tell you story after story. My favorite story, which is Ken friendly, that I finally had to come up with in order to share with like young girls. Well, how do I talk about this? Is that I wasn't allowed to eat French fries in the car on the way home. So if we'd like go out and eat and grab fast food... And we'd get in the car. This is why you get French fries. So you can open the bag and have something to eat. Yes, everyone knows this. I wasn't allowed. And the fact that I use the word allowed, that's the red flag. So I call him Fry Guy. That's how I would tell the the young girls, you know, to be appropriate to their age. And I would look at people and go, yeah, those of you who know me now have to chuckle. Like no one tells me what to do. But back then they sure did. And it was slow. And I didn't see it coming. And there was some undoing that had to be done after that relationship. So my point is, I know many, many people have experienced some degree of that. So first of all, if you start feeling that way again, that's your, that's your first red flag. I think that when words like, I'm not allowed, I was told to, you don't have your own opinion, there's some strong language there that... If you can recognize, wait, I'm not allowed. What do you mean I'm not allowed? People don't always realize that that exact same thing happens in a religious context. You're not allowed to question the Bible study teacher. Right. You're not allowed to criticize leadership. If there's been an accusation against a volunteer, you're not allowed to talk about it. Right. And that that's spiritual abuse. We know that scripture calls us to be accountable to leadership and to each other. But in the wrong hands, that is a recipe for an abuser to get away with, well, in some cases, murder, you know, <laughs> literally. So there has to be, again, we're back to discernment. There right. has to be a way where you can say, I think there's something wrong with this. If you can just never, ever question anybody in a volunteer or paid authority position, that's That's not okay. 
That's not okay. And here's what I will say. Yes, we are to follow them and listen to them. When they're put in that place by God, they are there to help us. Um, And the Bible, you know, tells us to, to listen and follow that. However, if you look at the flip side of that, when you are called into leadership and into that that spiritual world, the Bible is very clear that you as the leader are held to a higher standard biblically. And I've had this conversation with my kids before. You know, we've seen things happen. Leaders in churches are still people. (laughs) So that's why this conversation is important, because sometimes people make mistakes. Sometimes it's not out of evil. It's not meant to take everything to the nth degree. Sometimes people just make mistakes. But guess what? They're still held to a higher standard. And so that's why sometimes the consequences may seem like, well, why was that consequence for them? Because they were a leader. Mm -hmm. And biblically, because of what happens when spiritual leaders fall, God knows that. He calls us. So you need to know that, that when someone steps into that role, they should know what they're getting into. And I think that's important to understand that, that when they're misstep, that's a really big deal. There's another issue that I think really goes hand in hand with that, because I think that a lot of times as Christians, we are wanting so much to forgive leaders when they fall. But there's a difference between (laughs) forgiving someone and restoring them to that same position. What restoration is, is restoring them to Christian fellowship. Yep. It doesn't mean that, well, yes, you embezzled $100,000 from the church, but it's been a couple weeks. You said you were sorry. So you get to be church treasurer again. You and I have seen this happen. Yes. We have been witness to this. And it has never gone well. It never goes well. Part of that is simply because it's like the doctor telling me that I should not eat sugar anymore, which is a real thing, and then deciding to go to Dairy Queen. So part of it is just like, we are doing such a disservice when we do that to someone. And I think sometimes we think, well, we don't want them to be embarrassed, but all we're doing is putting them in the most tempting situation we could put them in. But yes, I feel like, again, and you and I've talked about this before, I think the reason we tend to do that is it comes back to this idea of judgment Mm -hmm. and that we get caught up in, well, I'm not here to judge them. The Bible says we are to hold each other accountable, that there is a difference between judging someone and holding them accountable. And when you know that someone, it's been proven they've embezzled, if we'll go on with your, your scenario here, you're not judging them. You're saying that the consequence for embezzling is you probably shouldn't be treasurer anymore because it's too tempting because you haven't earned the right. And the consequence for that action is to not be allowed to be around money anymore. You know very well the story I'm getting ready to tell. Yes. There was someone who I knew from personal experience. He did not abuse me, but he abused a classmate of mine. I knew him to be a child abuser. And... 20 years later, he shows up at church where I worked and I made sure that I let leadership know, hey, this this is a red flag. I don't know what he came here. I, I know you said he wanted to partner with us about something. If it has anything to do with children, that is not a good idea. And I was basically told he repented and that was a long time ago. And I'm thinking we as leaders have a responsibility Absolutely. to care for the vulnerable. 
And since I know that this person should not be around the vulnerable, I basically had to say, look, I've told you what I know. If I see this person working with children, I will let the entire church know what he's done and that I warned you before you you allowed. And thankfully, it never went that far. And that's probably why I didn't last very long at that church. (laughs) So we have our own red flag stories is what you're all hearing. Like, it's not like Lori and I have never not ignored, but we speak on this because we've experienced this in many different ways. We've seen it happen to other people. We've experienced it ourselves. And you Um, and I both have a passion to let people know this type of thing is happening. We need to open our eyes. We need to discuss it, not to gossip, not to just try to find sensational things, but we need to protect the vulnerable. And if we can't see what's happening around us because we're willfully closing our eyes, that's on us. I don't want to have to answer for that someday. Uh, Me either. And, And to go back to kind of the idea of forgiveness, biblical forgiveness is really as much about you. You know, it's about you letting go. So if you take first and just start with a personal relationship, if someone hurts you personally, Jesus would say forgiveness is about letting that go so you don't harbor that. It doesn't affect you. It doesn't eat away at you. There is nothing biblical that says you have to forgive them and then let them back in your life into the exact same relationship, which is what you're then extrapolating to in in more of a situational type forgiveness. They can repent of something they did. It doesn't mean we put them in with kids or we put them right back as treasurer. We have to understand that forgiveness and like you said, restoration are two very different topics. They're two very different things. They really, they can go hand in hand, but they can live autonomously. And I think sometimes we forget that. And really as the big C church, we've not done a great job. Something that goes along with what you just said about forgiveness We also have to realize that God wants us to forgive because it puts our heart in a posture of obedience. Yes. It's a difficult thing to do, but when we're willing to do it simply because God told us he wants us to do it, that is growth and blessing and closeness with our maker for us. Yep. I agree. And and I know this is slightly off topic, but I just feel in my spirit something we need to say that if you have ever been told or encouraged that someone who abused you, hurt you, that part of forgiveness was completely restoring that relationship, I want you to hear today, that is not true. Now, if you feel that, that that's what you're supposed to do and you want that and you feel that it's a safe we're not saying don't do it, but God is not commanding you yes. to forgive and restore at the same time. They oh, are not you. interchangeable. Thank you for bringing that up. That is such wise, wise counsel. And I hope that these words are reaching someone yeah. that needed to hear that. Yes. Well, as always, you are a fount of information, of wisdom, <laughs> and you just make me laugh. So it is always... <laughs> Always great to have you here. Now, you are also a speaker, so I just want to let people know. I'm going to put Lori's contact information. You can email her. She is in the Arizona area, and so, I mean, you pay her to travel, and I'm sure she'll travel to wherever you are, (laughs) but um, 
If you need someone with wisdom, with scriptural knowledge, with humor, and with amazing compassion, get in touch with Lori and see what you guys can work out because she will be a blessing to any group that would have her come speak. Thank you. And wouldn't it be lovely for me to speak on something not murder? I promise. We can talk about things. We can talk about things other than this. Who knew? So, yes. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And my dream someday is that we'll speak together at an event. Uh, It's going to happen someday. All right. All right. Thank you again. Absolutely. My pleasure as always. And again, I I just want to end by saying that just trust your gut, trust the thought when something stirs, pursue it, pursue it in truth and love. And as long as you do that, you'll be okay. Yes, because I say that's more than a gut check. That's a Holy Spirit check. Yep, absolutely. (laughs) All right. Take care until next time. Thank you. Bye. In 2 Corinthians, one of Paul's warnings to the people is to tell them to watch out for false teachers. He reminds them that he gives the warnings that he does out of his love for his fellow believers. Unlike cult leaders who claim to be special, Paul reminds the readers that he's nothing special. He just loves them and wants to protect them if he can. So let's see what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 12 through 15. And this is from the New Living Translation. But I will continue doing what I have always done. This will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. I can so relate to what Paul is saying here. I share these stories with you every week because I want to help you see the dangers that you might be overlooking. I want to protect you from people who seem harmless but are anything but. I hope that after today, you can see through people who are claiming to be serving God but are really serving themselves at your expense. If you liked this episode, please check out some earlier ones. I've put links in the show notes to some that I think will have a tremendous impact on you. I'd love it if you would also help someone else begin their journey as a different kind of PI, a person of impact, by sharing this episode with them, subscribing to the podcast, and giving The Unlovely Truth a five-star rating and a nice review on Apple Podcasts. The Unlovely Truth is written and produced by me, Lori Morrison. Music is by Neocortex, and artwork is by Shelby Highland. See you all next time.